Does Bible prophecy ever mean what it says? Or is it always symbolic in nature? And if it is only symbolic, how can we ever know when it's fulfilled? If the first coming prophecies about Jesus were literal, then shouldn't the second coming prophecies be interpreted literally? For the answers to these questions and others regarding the interpretation of Bible prophecy, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I had the opportunity recently to sit down with a renowned expert of Bible prophecy and talk with him about how Bible prophecy should be interpreted. Folks, this is a very vital question since most churches in the world today take the position that the Bible's prophecies about the second coming of Jesus should be spiritualized and not be taken literally. The expert that I had the opportunity to interview is Dr. Tommy Ice, the director of the Pre-Trib Study Center located in the Dallas, Texas area. Dr. Ice has co-authored over 30 books. He has written hundreds of articles and is a frequent conference speaker. He has a Master of Theology degree from Dallas Theological Seminary and a Ph.D. from Tyndall Theological Seminary. He has served as a pastor before becoming the director of the Pre-Trib Research Center in 1994. Dr. Ice and his wife Janice have three grown sons. Now, don't let all those academic credentials scare you because Dr. Ice is a down-to-earth communicator and you will be enlightened but what he has to say about how to interpret the Bible, and particularly Bible prophecy. Tommy, when I was growing up in the church, I heard something over and over about the interpretation of Bible prophecy, and it was that the, the, uh, the Bible means exactly what it says from beginning to end, unless it's talking about the second coming of Jesus. It never means what it says because that's apocalyptic literature, and apocalyptic literature is a special genre of its own that must always be interpreted symbolically. Right, and that what they were doing is what we call apocal a genre override. They're mm. using a genre classification to override literal it's interpretation. A good way to put it. I never heard that. Yeah, Robert Thomas coined <laughs> that term, and. Uh, First of all, the word apocalyptic, as you know, is the apocalypse, is the first word in the book of Revelation, and it means revelation, not to hide or cover. (laughs) Secondly, the book of Revelation, at least twice, I think up to four times, calls itself not apocalyptic, but prophecy. Prophecy, that's right. Yes. That's right. And this, back in the 70s, I remember. conservatives use the word apocalyptic literature and what they meant by it was uh, prophecy that had visions Mm. and symbols in it. Mm -hmm. Now that's not how it's being used today. The liberal view has overtaken it. And the liberals believe that uh, apocalyptic genre was developed in the intertestamental period. Mm. You know, well, so Ezekiel and Daniel are said to be apocalyptic what does that do? That means you have to take a liberal view of the Bible, you know, to have it fit into there. Usually it's, it's always pseudonymical. In other words, either 
it doesn't have an author on, on there or it, it is said to be um, a false name. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't fit the book of Revelation, doesn't fit the book of Daniel, doesn't fit the book of Ezekiel, you see. So they have this thing and then they, so what they do is they, they just come in and say, well, it's apocalyptic and everybody knows you can't take it literally rather than getting in and doing what some would call hand-to-hand exegetical combat. In other words, taking the verse and reading the Bible and understanding what it means. And so that is just a quick way because they cannot handle individual text to simply dismiss it and move on. Well, uh, I was confronted with this time and time again. I'd say something to somebody and they'd say, oh, that's apocalyptic. That's apocalyptic. That doesn't mean what it says. And one time I was reading through the book of Zechariah, and I came to chapter 14. And it was so easy to understand. I mean, it just said, in the end times, Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by enemies. The Lord's going to come. It's just going to touch the, Mount, touch the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives split in half. Speak a supernatural word. The enemy is destroyed. Verse 9, he'll become king over all the earth. Well, I grew up in a millennial church. And I, mm-hmm. I went to the pastor. I said, what about this? And he read it. Read it. He said, well, I, it doesn't mean what it says. Because that's <laughs> apocalyptic. But one day what I did was I read the entire book of Zechariah. A little short book. Doesn't take long. Big mistake. But you know what I discovered? And you don't have to be a rocket scientist. I discovered that every prophecy in that book concerning the first coming of Jesus meant what it said. And I decided, hey, if the first coming prophecies mean what they say, the second coming prophecies must mean what they say. Zechariah 9.9, he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) And, and, And it just made no sense to me to say, well, it First coming prophets mean what they say. Second coming don't mean what they say. Exactly. People love to interpret the Bible, all of it, that way. Because when you interpret the Bible in that way, you can make it say anything you want it that's to say. True. You become God. But that shows the importance of context. In other yeah, words, tell, tell, talk about that. Context. Uh, when I was in seminary, they called it the hermeneutical cheer. Hermeneutical means interpretation. Yeah. And so they would go context, 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 just like real estate is location, location, location. And so, uh, you know, I remember before I, when I was young, put it that way, we used to sit under a tree and do Bible studies. And uh, I would study for it. And I had a Bible dictionary that, you know, defined words and everything. And I would go through maybe sometimes 20, 25 yeah. And I would pick the one I liked best. And I, then I later I, I learned you're supposed to study what word nuance of this word fits the context. So you read the context to figure out right. uh, is that referring to a physical departure <laughs> or a... Uh, um, you know, an idea departing from the, like departing from the faith. You see, so the context is king; it's sovereign. Uh, we have the English word "run." It has many possibilities. In other words, run to the store. Mm-hmm. He scored a run. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a run of salmon. Mm-hmm. She has a run in her stockings. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in the military, after we ate breakfast, sometimes we had the runs. You know, but <laughs> but each nuance is clear in a context because I just gave you five different contexts and it's always clear. And so the context determines whether 
you have what we call denotative or connotative, meaning plain, literal, or figurative, literal. And every word or phrase in all languages are that way. And so if it's a figure of speech, which there are figures of speech all over the Bible, and we, I mean, you can't watch a sporting event in America without hearing all kinds of figures of speech. Right. He that's killed right. the quarterback. Yeah, well, when's his right. funeral, that's you know? Right. <laughs> I mean, Well, I always think of, of, of two sentences using the same phrase, White House. Mm. Today, I toured the White House. That's literal. Another sentence, the White House announced today, well, the White House can't talk. No. It's obvious the context, that's symbolic. So the context determines whether it's symbolic or literal. And there can be times when it may not be perfectly clear, right. but usually it is. Yeah, but that's why you back up and read the broader context sure. and, and things. So words are limited by context, nuances. And symbols, for example, the book of Revelation, I think I've heard 34, 39 symbols in the book of Revelation. Half of them are explained in the context. He says the seven uh, can, uh, candle lampstands are the seven churches. Duh. Duh. Yeah, I know. He says the seven stars are seven angels. Duh. You know, and then he talks like in Revelation 12 about the red dragon. And then five or six verses later he says it's Satan. That's right. He tells you. And you know, even if, he, if the Bible doesn't explain the symbol, uh, the Bible is its own best interpreter. So, for example, in Revelation 13, it refers to a woman with these stars and all. Well, all you got to do is get a concordance and look that up, and you can find it in the Old Testament perfectly explained. It's Israel. Yes, that's Revelation 12. Yeah, I'm sorry, Revelation yeah. 12. Yeah. Yes, it's in uh, Genesis 37. Yeah. And he has the dream. The only time you have sun, moon, and stars used together. It, always, it referred to Israel, yeah. exactly, in the 12 tribes. Yeah, so, so you don't drop a tab of LSD and hallucinate, <laughs> you know, and try to come up, you know, or have a group think thing. What do you think it means? What do you think? No, you study the context. So in order to understand symbols in the Bible, you just have to know the whole Bible, yeah. you know, in the book of Revelation. And it, it's not that hard. Uh, for example, it says in the book of Revelation that uh, Israel is going to be delivered um, from the uh, Antichrist uh, on the wings of a great eagle. Yes. And there have been books written about that in which they say, well, that's, there's the United States. We're going to provide the end time airlift of the Jewish people. And I, yet that very same terminology is used in the Old Testament about the coming out of Egypt. It's used in Exodus. Yes. And Deuteronomy. All it means is you're coming out under the protection of God. Right. I thought that was George W. Bush and the Texas Air National Guard myself. <laughs> Well, it, 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 I don't know. It's just amazing. I, I had a guy tell me one time, said, I can prove to you that in the book of Revelation, verse the chapter 20, where it says Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years, it says it six times. He says, I can prove to you it doesn't mean a thousand years. I said, okay, how is that? He said, if you go over to the Psalms, I think it was Psalm 50, what does it say? God, God owns the cattle on a thousand, thousand hills. hills. Are there only a thousand hills? Thousand hill. Thousand is used symbolically. Right. Have you ever read the next line? It says he owns everything. <laughs> but you know, I know, and that's a context. symbolic usage. Context. It's very context. clear. Yeah. And they want to transfer. Here's another era. Uh, one scholar calls it illegitimate totality transfer, where you go over to a passage like he owns a calendar and you import that meaning into the context of, say, Revelation 20. Mm -hmm. 
I'm sorry. You're defining your that's not the context. <laughs> you're right. importing that in. That's right. That is a symbolic use. But uh, on the other hand, in Revelation 20, that's a historical narrative. Yes. And it's really not yeah. much symbols going on there. Before we proceed with my discussion with Dr. Tommy Ice about the interpretation of Bible prophecy, I would like to give you a special treat, namely a song by our featured vocalist Jack Collinsworth. The song I have in mind is the one that you, our viewers, have most frequently requested. It is called 1159, which is a reference to the fact that the hour is late because the Lord is about to return any moment. Here now is Jack Collinsworth singing 1159. Time is winding down, just look around us. Evil's breaking loose on every side. The devil knows his time is almost over. Soon the clock will stop and Jesus Christ will split the sky. Shout it from the rooftops, proclaim it in the street. Tell your friends and neighbors, tell everyone you meet. We all need a Savior, but we're running out of time. He's coming back at midnight. It's 11.59 God's prepared a place for all His children Free from fears and doubt, tears and pain We must choose our destination you know there's just one way to heaven Jesus is his name Shout it from the rooftops Proclaim it in the streets Tell your friends and neighbors Tell everyone you meet We all need a savior but we're running out of time Yes, he's coming back at midnight It's 11.59 And at the right hand of the Father He'll soon stand to his feet And here's the children and bring them home to me so let's shout it from the rooftops proclaim it in the street 
your friends and neighbors Tell everyone you meet That we all need a Savior But we're running out of time Yes, he's coming back at midnight it's 11.59 Church Jesus is coming back Time as we know it is almost over He's coming back for a bride Without spot or wrinkle One who's ready to go It's almost midnight It's 11.59 Well, another uh, a problem that people run into is uh, not considering all the relevant verses on a particular topic. Let yes. me give you an example here that I'd like for you to comment on. It's over in Second Peter, and uh, you'll find it there in chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, where it says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Okay. Jesus will come. The earth will be burned up. There's no millennium. Well, you can't base, you know, this on one verse. You have to read everything the Bible says about it. Well, and this should, reading this verse should start by reading the context. (laughs) What's the context of Second Peter three? It's the the uh, uh, scoffer says yes. all things have continued yes. as they were from the beginning of creation, right. and God's not going to intervene in history. Mm-hmm. And so he's saying, well, he intervened at creation, he intervened at the flood, he's going to intervene at the second coming. So he's talking about God intervening in history, and and this is another example of. I guess you could say a fourth example. He says that uh, that the end of history, God's going to intervene and He's going to destroy the heavens and earth. So He's not talking about the millennium, you know. But you're not going to find all of the end time events in any one particular passage. No. (laughs) That's why it's you have to work at this, and and, and incidentally, that's something that I, I that really is one of my pet peeves is when pastors will tell me, "I'm not premillennial. I'm not postmillennial." I'm just pan-millennial. It's all going to work out in the end. Well, to me, that is an admission of laziness. In other words, I'm not going to study this and really find out what it says. Yeah, you mean that God can't talk? Can <laughs> he who made the mouth not speak clearly? You know, they're, they're saying, I mean, goodness, there's so much information on yes. that in the Bible. Right. You're right. It is that. In fact, I remember a debate I had uh, with a preterist at Biola University. I started the debate off by saying, you know, that pan-millennial view, and said, but what if you think it already happened? See, that's the preterist view. Yes. It's not going to pan out in the end. It's already panned out in AD 70, you know? See, so you can't be neutral or, uh, you know, passive on that. Now, I understand if you're learning, you're growing, you're studying, and you haven't yet reached conclusions on some Mm -hmm. of these things, Mm -hmm. that's different than somebody that just blows it off. That's right. Let me ask you something else. What about telescoping? What is telescoping and what are the problems with that? Well, in biblical interpretation it refers to the fact that God has revealed in the Old Testament different passages 
and he has um it's like looking at a, at a mountain range and you see the peaks yes. but you can't really see from a distance the valleys in between. in between but if you were to go walk this yes it would take a long time and you would go up and down and up and down and you would get a different view and so some have tried to and i like this view you know that uh the valleys refer to the mysteries of the new testament like the church age it wasn't revealed it was part of god's plan those valleys have always mm-hmm. been there mm-hmm. but from a distance in the old testament all you're seeing is these prophecies and even that uh, some of them refer to the first coming of Christ and some refer to the second yes. coming of yes. Christ. And I think it's in Zechariah chapter 9 yes. where you have um, Zechariah 9.9. 9. Yes. And here he talks about uh, rejoice greatly yes. O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even the colt. There's the first coming. The foal of a donkey. And okay. that's first coming. Okay. And then the very next verse, it says, I think this, it refers to the second coming. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations. And his dominion will be from sea to sea and from river to ends of the earth. And so this is talking about the career, overall career, Mm -hmm. if you want to look at it that way, Mm -hmm. of the Messiah, of the King. And it's got two phases. Once we get the New Testament, we can realize that. That's That's his first coming in humiliation. Donkey, how humiliating is it to ride a donkey? And then secondly, he's going to come victoriously. And so uh, sometimes... This is one of the most difficult things about interpreting prophecy, Isaiah 9. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. First mm-hmm. And then it's not even a di- different sentence, it's just the sentence continues. And yes. the government will rest upon his shoulders. Well, you jump from the first coming to the second coming there. Exactly. Because it's certainly not on his shoulders now. Yeah. If he is, it's doing a very poor job of it. Yeah, I always say if this is the millennium or the king, God's kingdom, and then we must be in the ghetto side. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, but then I realize there is no ghetto in his kingdom, but oh well. So that's just one of the things you have to watch in prophecy. That's right. Is that when the prophets look in the future, he may talk about some events, but they may not necessarily be just one right immediately after the other. There may be a gap between them. Well, and you know, I found, you know, when I studied the book of Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, John is told to write down what he sees. And he's, I think, 39 times he says, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw. 11, 12 times I hear, and so he's taking dictation at Mm -hmm. at those points. And what he does is he gives a verbal description of the visions that he's seeing. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's at least 550 allusions to Old Testament mm-hmm. passages. Right. So John provides a chronology, I think a broad mm-hmm. chronology, mm-hmm. and you're able to come in and take all those Old Testament prophet passages that are right. scattered throughout and organize them into yes. uh, some degree of a chronology. Well, one of my favorite quotations about interpretation comes from uh, Morris. Uh, Henry. Henry Morris, the Mm -hmm. founder of the Institute for Creation Research. He wrote a book called The Revelation Record. And in the introduction he said, the reason I'm writing this book 
is because people tell me the book of Revelation is difficult to understand. He said they're wrong. It's not difficult to understand. It's difficult to believe. If you will believe it, you will understand it. <laughs> Good point. That's the problem, really. Yeah, I know. I, 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 one time I went to a <laughs> seminary library, a seminary library at TCU, and um, I looked in something like 80 different commentaries to see what they had to say about Revelation chapter 7 and about the 144,000. And about 85% of them said he's talking about the church. Sure. What would God have to do to convince us he's talking about 144,000 Jews? He names them by tribes. Right, right. And yet they say, oh no, this is talking about the church. Right. Well, that's because their big ideas that they bring to the text override the Override meaning. what the text, the text says. actually says, yes. And, and, and that, you know, th- let's, let's come back full circle here. The, you know, that's the point. It took the church a couple of thousand years to d- consistently develop and uh, interpret the Bible in a consistently literal mm-hmm. way. And that's why only in the last 200 years yes. you've had dispensationalism and pre-tribulationalism become dominant. Yes. And it, it's, it's progress of the church's understanding. Because he says the Holy Spirit will be with us and guide us and direct us during this church age. And you see that, you know, if you have any, I have some background in church history, and you see that progress of dogma, as J.S. Winor called it, being developed as the church increasingly understands the Bible. Right. (laughs) And one other thing, you talked about interpreting it with all these complicated things, but our, you know, you have to take every passage into consideration, and our goal in interpretation is to come up with a view that coordinates all of the views. In other words, all the information that's put in, all the scripture, so that we have an interpretation that doesn't contradict anything. Yes. And, for example, uh, pre-tribulationalism is true because it's the best thing when you consider all the passages and issues involved. It's the best explanation for what's going on. Folks, the bottom line when it comes to the interpretation of the Bible is to follow the rule that when the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense lest you end up with nonsense. Well, folks, that's our program for today. I hope it has been a blessing to you and the Lord willing. I hope you'll be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. The classic book on the interpretation of Bible prophecy is this one by Dr. Paul Lee Tan. It was originally published back in 1974, but it has been reprinted many times since then. I have read many such books about biblical interpretation, but this is by far the best one. I highly recommend it to you. It runs 282 pages in length plus 150 pages of helpful appendices, and it covers every aspect of biblical interpretation with a special emphasis on the problems that relate to the interpretation of Bible prophecy. The book presents all the arguments for interpreting Bible prophecy for its plain sense meaning, and it clearly demonstrates the dangers of spiritualizing or allegorizing prophecy. The book can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. To order, 
Call the number you see on the screen or place your order through our website address that is also on the screen. If you call, please do so Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time. Just ask for the book by Paul Lee Tong concerning the interpretation of Bible prophecy. Lamb and Lion Ministries is a faith ministry that depends on your donations to pay the cost of these television programs. We would like to invite you to become one of our prophecy partners. For details about the Prophecy Partner Program, just give us a call or check our website. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 